Until he takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm DJ Taylor, and you're listening to Sound of the Loons. afternoon or evening depending on when this finds you welcome to the sound of the loons podcast presented by alina health orthopedics i'm steve mcpherson and i'm joined by noted englishman callum williams cal let's just start with the obvious how are you feeling after england's win over denmark and the semis to book a trip to the final against your mortal enemies italy i don't even know if italy are your mortal enemies but it's a great it's a great situation for england no doubt it, it still feels quite strange to say, Steve, England in a final, because we haven't been in a final since 1966. So there are legitimate generations that have never seen this before. So um, I, I would go as far as saying if there's a cloud above cloud nine, that would be the one that I'm on. Um, <laughs> cloud 10, presumably. I don't know. <laughs> cloud 10, yeah, possibly. Cloud nine and a half, maybe. Because 10, 10 out of 10 is usually presumed to be perfect, right? So maybe I'm on cloud okay. nine and a half. If we win it, then I'll be cloud 10. But All right. um, I don't really know the etymology of the whole cloud thing. So so while you're <laughs> while you're talking, I'm gonna I'm gonna look that one up. Go for I, it. Keep I, going. I just don't um I, I just can't think of the appropriate way to describe it, Steve, because it's just it's it's once in a lifetime type stuff. It really is. Um this doesn't happen to England. We we've been, you know, semi finalists on two separate occasions after ninety six. Um, you know, the most recent came in the last World Cup. Um, and it was obvious that there was some sort of, um, that there was a sign that that this group that we seem to be moving into this new era with is capable of something. Um, but I never expected us to get to the final. I, I, I thought that, you know, I, I would take a quarter final um, and, and say that's a good tournament. Um, so to, to do it um, the way we have, um, to, to play as well as we have, um, albeit, you know, uh, Scotland game. Um, I, I just, I can't believe it, Steve. I'm just so unbelievably proud of the group. Um, and, you know, England right now is, um, is to my knowledge, you know, I haven't been, been back for, for two years or so, but, but to my knowledge, England right now is, is a very divided country politically. Um, there's one thing in, in my opinion that, that can, can bring any country together and, and that's, that's football. And that's exactly what has, what has happened in England. So, um, you know, I, I'm just incredibly proud. Um, I was a nervous wreck, uh, here at home yesterday. Um, and, and I'm going to be an absolute shambles of a human being on Sunday. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to cope, you know. And it's strange, Steve, because I don't really get nervous anymore. Because, you know, working in the industry, you, you do lose that little bit of connection because it, it becomes work and, and what have you. And so you, you do lose that little bit. Like, you know, I, 
obviously geographically as well, I, I can't follow you know Aston Villa like I used to. It's just impossible now. So you, you do lose that little bit of connection. Um, but when it's your country, it's different. Um, and especially when you, I think when you're abroad as well, you know, you, you do become mm-hmm. a little more patriotic when you're, when you're not living in the country, when you're, um, even when you're on vacation elsewhere, you, you know, any chance to be proud of your country, you, um, you absolutely show it. So uh, it's, it's, it's been unbelievable, Steve. I've been fortunate enough to be able to watch a handful of games with about 30 other expats. Um, at a, a certain pub in downtown Minneapolis, and um, you know, I, I just can't wait to to see everybody again on Sunday. And I, I hope we're celebrating. And, and look, if we're not celebrating, if we don't win the tournament, then then that's fine. You know, ultimately for me, this has been a sensational tournament for England, um, and uh, it, it should be viewed as a success regardless of the results. Um. Yeah, the uh, it's it's been a great story here. Oh, wait, here's the here's the origin of of cloud nine for you. OK, ready mm. um, in in September of 1896, the uh, cumulonimbus, uh, which is a giant rain cloud, was listed as cloud nine in a new cloud classification. And then cloud nine became like floating on the tallest cloud on earth. So there's your explanation for for being on cloud nine. So I guess it could be cloud 10. Maybe you don't have to be 10 out of 10. It could just be cloud 10. Maybe it's out of 15 or something like that. So, um, so uh, tell me, uh, how do you feel? You are now in direct opposition to the, the chief marketing officer of Minnesota United, John Guayano, who uh, mm-hmm. you might be able to tell from the name uh, has some Italian heritage in him and uh, I'm sure is pulling for Italy. Uh, And so uh, what do you think about England's chances against Italy's in this matchup specifically? Look, Steve, I actually said this um, before the game against Denmark. I said, my, my heart says we're going to go and win it. My head says we're going to lose in the final. Um, I think Italy have, have been so sensational during the tournament. They've they've been much more attacking minded than people expect from from Italian side that over the last since I can remember the last twenty years or so they've been uh, very defensive minded they've been um, focused on on building out of the back slowly um, patiently um, and and it just seems like they are undergoing uh, a new era themselves as well there's, there's so many good young players, particularly in, in the centre of midfield as well. I'm a big fan of Arati, who, who I think is underappreciated at Paris Saint-Germain. Um, Insigne is, is sensational. Immobile is, is, is wonderful when he gets into the right spaces. So, it, you know, it's no coincidence, Steve, that the, the biggest task for England is going to be in the final. That's, that's, you know, you don't just get to the final on a win, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, uh I, in terms of, if you're asking me what what, what I think is going to happen, I, it's a final, isn't it? You know, I mean, it, it just could go either way. It really could. It just depends on 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 certain things. So um, I don't know what Southgate's going to do with the team. I'd be very surprised if he if he changed anything. Um, maybe he does. Maybe he changes something. Maybe he sees somebody who can be uh, more suitable to go up against um, an Italian left back or something. Maybe he changes something. And you know, because that that's what what a tournament is, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to stick with the same 11 players the whole tournament just because they might necessarily be your best players. It's a tournament. And, and sometimes you have to accept your role in the tournament. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I am, uh, I'm intrigued because it's always a really interesting tactical battle with, with, with an Italian side, whether it's on the international or domestic side. Um, but 
uh, right now, Steve, um, I, I I'm just I'm just too nervous to even think about it right now. I'm just all over the place. I'm I'm a shell of a human being. Um, <laughs> I, I tried to think about something else uh, earlier this morning. I went for a workout in the afternoon, and I'm just all I can think about, all I can think about is the game, and I'm trying so hard not to. I've got dinner reservations with my poor wife this evening and I know I'm just going to talk about the game and, and it's just, it's murder. It's murder being an England fan because we, this just doesn't happen to us. And, and you know, as I said, for the first time since 1966, here we are with a real mm-hmm. opportunity of, of claiming a trophy. So um, I, I know I'm going to be a wreck over the weekend. I'm going to be um, an absolute quivering, shivering mess of a human being. And um, I, I, I just don't even know how to explain how I'm going to get through the next few days. But I'm, um, you know, I'm excited, obviously, but I'm <laughs> nervous in capital letters. Seems like you're going to owe your wife uh, a spa day or something uh, to, you know, to let because she's going to receive a lot of, of energy from you over the over the weekend oh, yeah. uh, here at Cal. So I, I can I say that I, I one thing that I've always loved about um, Italy and the idea of the the national Italian character in soccer, because uh, when I think of Italy, I think of uh, Ferraris and fashion and sort of like sleekness. And then the reputation of Italy on the world stage in terms of soccer is just being like, like lock you down, destructive, like just snails pace, like grind it out. It's, it's, I mean, and obviously there's the, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a country with all kinds of different areas and elements. You know, you think of like uh, Northern Italy is a lot different than Southern Italy. And the, the, there's, there's a lot of different cultural elements, but it does sort of seem like in, in direct opposition to thinking about things like the Roman feel of like, sportiness and sort of like sleekness and that it's it's guys like Maldini and like these sort of like bruising center backs who are sort of the 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 rep for Italy which I love yeah I mean I I grew up Steve in an era where the Italians were about as hard-nosed as as they come and and um I grew up watching some of the names you've just mentioned like Paolo Maldini like Alessandro Nesta uh Costa Curta uh Gigi Buffon, um, you know, I, I call Cannavaro. Yeah. Cannavaro, sensational year, World Cup winner, um, you know, and, and caught the tail end of, um, of uh, Baggio's career and um, was lucky enough to, you know, have access to watch Italian football growing up in England and, and you know, very much enjoyed watching like Christian Vieri and uh, all, all of these sensational uh, Italian players, um, and, and like I said, it just feels like it's it's a new wave of Italians now, um, and I, I'm interested to see what what they do, Steve. Uh, I don't expect either side to change much. That there might be a tweak here and there, as I said, to perhaps uh, counteract whatever the opposition is doing. Um, I think it's going to be a nervy, you know, one-one. It's got it's got <laughs> as much as it pains me to say, it's got penalties written all over it, and it's just not we're just not very confident on penalty kicks England so um I I don't know I hope it doesn't I hope it's done in 90 minutes because my my nerves will just not you won't be able to take it yeah you won't penalties will be a disaster for you so well let's take your let's take your mind off that upcoming game by talking about uh the game last night uh wednesday night uh minnesota united against uh, the colorado rapids um it, to just sort of set the stage for the game uh 
Minnesota a seven game unbeaten streak uh, following sort of a, a really tough beginning to the season uh, coming into a game just after playing Saturday at home to San Jose, uh, a game in which they had the lead and then sort of lost it late. Uh, you know, again, it's one of these things where as you back up, you look at a, you, you look at a win in Portland and you think, Hey, if you had a draw in Portland and a win against San Jose, at home, that's what you would expect. You had that, just the reverse of those things. So maybe it's not so bad. But the Quakes game, it, there were some things to be concerned about. Losing Michael Boxall, uh, who you were, knew who was supposed to go to the Olympics. We don't know if he's going to go now. Um, but um, he was supposed to play in this game on Wednesday. Uh, Ramal Metanier, who's in France getting his green card, is not back yet. Uh, so you, and then Bakai uh, Dibasi, who, uh, came back and had done tremendous uh, work for Minnesota. Once he came back from that injury, he and box all together looked great. They had none of those guys in the back line. You lost three quarters of your back line uh, on the road against a team that Minnesota United has never won against at Dick sporting good park, sporting goods park. And the, the one quarter of that regular back line, that's still there. Chase Gasper, um, who is uh, a tremendous player who has a lot of good qualities is probably defensively, the weakest of those four backline players, like just as a defender, as a pure defender, it's, you know, like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, they could have gotten result. They absolutely could have gone out there and gotten result. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to let them off the hook because I think the game didn't start. They didn't start on that front foot. They didn't try to put the press the issue right away, but this is a tough game. Uh, there's a little break coming up and then they're going to get back at it. They're going to have a, you know, a, a week and a half essentially to get back into it and, and get in shape to, to deal with the Seattle Sounders uh, at home. What was your sense of the game um, sort of from a tenor perspective over the course of the whole game and how it began? And if you ever felt like Minnesota United looked like they were going to get into it, it to me, it sort of looked like they never really were going to get control of the game. Yeah, um, I thought it was probably the one of the worst displays of the season. Probably, probably the worst display of the season, I thought. Because if you go back and look at the, the opening four games, which obviously didn't go very well, at least Minnesota played well, and at least they created chances and had opportunities. Uh, and there was a, a generic direction um, as to, to what they were trying to do. But I thought the front four... Were, were perhaps as bad as we've ever seen them. And I know it was their first real chance to, to play alongside each other. Um, that, that'll only get better in time, but it just it, it didn't work. Um, and credit where the credit where credit's due, because I thought the Rapids contained them quite well. But um, th there were two things that really stood out to me, Steve. Um, and that was one of them, was that I, I didn't think the, the front four were at the game at all. I, I didn't think they, they looked... Um, I thought they looked jaded. I thought Robin Lord looked tired. Um, I thought a couple of the players looked tired. It was obvious they played a lot of football over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I thought one or two players didn't look sharp as well. Uh, and that's because they haven't played a lot of football over the course of the last few weeks. Um, the biggest thing for me, though, Steve, is that I thought Minnesota United were far too narrow against Colorado. Um, a lot of the ball was... was tempted to be played through the centre of the park, which is nothing new for Minnesota United, but I just didn't think the two central midfielders that that, that was their their task. I don't think they did it very well. I don't think Alonso and Gregush had a particularly great game. Um, as I said, you know, Gregush I thought looked a little bit out of it. He's been away with uh, with Slovakia at the Euros. I know he didn't play much, but 
a lot of travel time. It, it's a lot of training. Um, and as I said, I, I, I mentioned players who lacked a bit of sharpness. I didn't, I didn't think Alonso looked particularly sharp. Um, so, you know, um, the, the, the main thing for me was, was that I, I don't think Minnesota got at the, the makeshift left back of Colorado enough. They were playing Austin Trusty at left back last night, who is traditionally a centre-back. Um, I thought that was a real opportunity for them to to go at somebody who, who may be slightly uncomfortable. Um, and because of, of the way that Robin Lurd operates uh, as an inverted winger, um, he, he tucked inside as he does. And, um, you know, there was not much of an opportunity to go at Austin Trusty. If, if you think about some positives from the game, Steve, that the one player that I kind of thought, again, gave a good account of himself was, was DJ Taylor, um, who ran his socks off again. I'm not going to sit here and say he was spectacular, but he was certainly the best of a bad bunch. And I, I thought he, he ran his socks off. Um, and a lot of that, I think, was, was because he actually made Austin Trusty look a little bit uncomfortable from time to time because he drove towards the left back. Um, so I, I think um, that, that was the, the, the issue there for me, is I, I thought that Minnesota were too narrow it was essentially two central midfielders up against the three in the centre of midfield for Colorado. There always seemed to be an extra man spare. Um, Diego Rubio dropped from time to time as well. And uh, Barrios and uh, Galvan um, ended up almost essentially playing as, as inverted wingers as well. Barrios seemed to, to switch between the roles. Um, and uh, it, it was problematic for Minnesota for sure, but... Um, I, I just think there were several things that, that just didn't work last night. Um, and like I said, I, it, for me, it was probably the most disappointing performance of the season. Yeah, um, I, I think I agree with that, Cal. I, I think that, I mean, I remember looking back at the, those first four games, um, you know, once we got in a couple games into that unbeaten streak and, and thinking, OK, well, you know, you go to Seattle on the road, everybody had written the Sounders off. Um, to start the season saying they got too old. Jordan Morris is injured. They have, you know, they didn't replace some of these important guys. And so we thought that was going to be not too difficult a game. But we now know that the Seattle Sounders look terrific this year. And Minnesota jumped out to the lead. You know, they played well and then sort of broke down. And we saw, I think the, the Austin game is maybe my other, the, the loss to Austin is maybe my other candidate for for as bad as this, um, partly because of being at home. But that was another one where it looked like it, in terms of RSL and in terms of um, now I'm blanking, what was the team that, Oh, Colorado, right. That was the fourth, fourth loss was cut was to Colorado. Yeah. You know, like again, Colorado, Minnesota was in the lead and then lost, you know, like gave up three goals and, and lost, they broke down. There's a lot of like good play and then a breakdown. This was like, there just wasn't, it didn't come together. Like it never looked, it sort of, it sort of was a throwback to some Minnesota United games we'd seen in the first couple of years of the franchise where it was like, yeah, you're out there, but what is the idea? Like, what is the the concept? Like, what are you trying to, do on the field to sort of say, this is how we're going to play. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the, again, having to, to shuffle the lineup. I think you see um, again in, in, in soccer, there's this, this sort of chain where these things need to sort of depend on each other. And as things sort of don't, 
aren't there, if you can't compensate for it, it closes off other options, which closes off options. And then you run into this, this narrowness. Like, I think it made me really a appreciate Romain Metinier. Like again, not no shade to DJ Taylor, who I think did, did well, but it made me appreciate this, the extent to which Metinier bombs forward again. Like, I think it, I remember it being such a revelation a couple of years ago to see him doing that and to not have that presence that, that, that pushes up so hard and falls back hard in defense on that side. Like DJ Taylor was fine, but he was not Romain Metinier. Um, and then you saw, uh, Colorado sort of uh, pushing up really hard on those, those fullbacks. You saw Chase Gasper having to do a lot of defending early on. That meant that the fullbacks can't get up, you know, in terms of getting up the field. And that means that your inverted wingers then uh, can't really cut in in the same kind of way, because there's not that, that, that other pressure coming in from behind you put in, I presume, I don't know, you know, like, I, I don't know if this is a rotation question because obviously Will Trapp has played a ton of games and everything like that. But it seems like you probably put in Alonzo because you're hoping for a little more of that defensive solidity right in front of the the back line. Alonzo and Gregush is a little less aggressive than 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 Hassani Dotson going forward. Maybe you wanted them to, to hold back a little more. But then that led to them sitting back there trying to find passes to pick out into into the midfield. Reynoso had to drop deeper to pick it up. You know, it's like it's this thing. It's like again, you miss a couple people and then it clo- you have to keep adapting to the things that each each of those absences creates. And you end up with a team that just doesn't seem to have connection, chemistry, uh, sort of a verve, a sense of this is what we're trying to do. Um, you know, I did sort of find myself, I was going to say this, but I was going to, I did sort of find myself wondering about that, uh, that scuffle that uh, Ozzy got into with, uh, was it Callan? Callan Acosta? Um, I think. Yeah, there was a bunch of players. Cole Bassett as well. And Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was sort of, I guess, I think it was Cole most directly because he picked up the ball and he was like, Ozzy was like, give me the ball. Nicole was like, uh, no, I'm going to bounce and then I'm going to throw it over your head. And Ozzy really took offense to that. And I sort of, I sort of found myself wondering if that wasn't like Ozzy's attempt to galvanize the team a little bit, like to sort of bring that like a non uh, play element that says we're not going to get pushed around. Um, it didn't seem to work. You got a yellow card. It didn't, it didn't go great for anybody, but I did find myself wondering if that was sort of a captain trying to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a stink about this in order to get everybody's attention and try to reset the feel of the game a little bit. Possibly. I just think he wanted the ball. Well, that's right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, I don't think he was like planning it. I just think it's one of those things where maybe like as a captain for, for, you know, years and years, you're just like, this team is not clicking. We need something to make it happen. Maybe I'm going to make a stink about this ball. I think he, I think he wanted a reset. I think Minnesota wanted to play quickly off of the dead ball, um, but you know, Alonso obviously coming in had had not played, had not started since mid-May. Um, so I go back to what I was saying earlier on, Steve, about him not not perhaps being as sharp as one would expect. He's also now 35 as well, so let's perhaps reserve a little bit of, of criticism for Rosy Alonso as well, um, who who is still wonderful. Uh, but he's, he's not the Aussie Alonso of five years ago. Sure. Um, so there were changes made that needed to be, be made. Um, Will Trapp had essentially, uh, apart from a, you know coming off against Dallas, I think it was, he'd essentially played every minute, really, of the season so far. So was was warranted a, a rest. Um, Sonny Dotson has played an awful lot of football recently as well. 
not forget he was also uh, with the the US under 23s um and perhaps needed a little bit of a, a rest as well um the the main absentees were obviously the two center halves and and I thought um Coleman came in and, and did okay I thought Yuka Raitala, who came in and was was thrust into another situation I thought was 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 okay, um, but I thought they both got caught out on several occasions. Um, but I, I'm not convinced they had enough protection. Uh, I think the backline were were very much left hung to dry. I, I don't think there was enough protection for them. You know, Alonso was would sit deep when when he needed to, but like I said, um, not not because of lack of effort. I just think because lack of, of sharpness. Um, I, I think the backline didn't have the protection that they they usually do. So um, it, it was obviously a disappointing performance, Steve. But uh, again, I think this result um, shows how important Michael Boxall and Bakay Dibasi are to Minnesota United and Homo Metinier for, for, for that example as well. Um, but you're not going to win every game as well. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's remember this. After a seven-game unbeaten stretch... Um, going to to Colorado um, is always tough. Um, do I think the team should have played better? Yeah. Do I think it wasn't good enough? Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with with uh, what I'm sure people are saying. But um, you know, it, it's not as if the world is coming to an end here as well. It's the first defeat in seven games. Um, Minnesota still find themselves comfortably in the playoff conversation. I think they, they remained sixth after the, the results last night. I think they're, I think they're seventh now, but... They're know. seventh now? Okay. Yeah, um, the, the, the point being, they're still above the line, mm-hmm. which is, is, is where they should be, and, and, and in my opinion, where they will ultimately uh, finish the season. Um, so, it, it's disappointing. But as I said, you're not going to win every game, in my opinion. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to win every game unless you're Arsenal in 2004. You just, you know, and even they didn't win every game. That that, that invincible season had a couple of draws in there as well. You're just not going to win every game. Um, But it was disappointing, no doubt. Um, I I wonder um, how they get Unu involved a little bit more because I thought he was really isolated. Um, And again, it shows how much they rely on Reynoso and Fragapane to get involved. I thought Reynoso dropped a little bit too deep again at times and lost possession, which ultimately caused problems, which I know what they're trying to do there. I know Reynoso was trying to help them match up in the centre of midfield. Um, but again, when you when you lose the ball where he did a couple of times, it's going to cause you problems. So um, ultimately, look, as I said, Steve, it, it, it wasn't a great evening at the office. Um, not one to, to savour. I think the team will, over the next couple of days, have a look at some tape and see what what really went wrong. But for me, as I said, Steve, I, I don't think Minnesota were. Uh, I don't think they used the width enough. Uh, I, I thought they were too narrow. I thought um, far too much uh, of the the transition was was going through the centre of midfield, which, as I said, is is, is nothing new. Um, but when you've got two bodies in there that perhaps aren't as as sharp uh, or, or are perhaps a little bit tired. Um, it, it just didn't seem to come together in Colorado. And uh, as I said, I'm sure they'll look at something over the course of the next few days uh, and see what, what else went wrong. Uh, but I think you, you try and move on from this as quickly as possible.
Yeah, I, I also wonder if, you know, you're talking about the amount of miles on some of these guys now at this point. Like, I, I wonder if if those injuries hadn't happened, you know, with the with the center backs, if you would if you would have seen Chase also getting pulled out because he has played every minute still to this point. Um, and that puts that puts a lot of wear on you. And I think you're right about it. It, it, it trap needed a break. Um, they have depth in the center of midfield. They don't have depth along that back line. Basically, if Raitala uh, is playing in center back, you really don't have another left back on the roster right now. So uh, so that's difficult. I think it's also to your point, it's a long season. We're about a third of the way in. Uh, you will eventually there's probably going to be a point in the future when some of these guys are going to have to get back on the pitch and play more. And you hope that as you know, Adrian says almost, after almost every game, when it's a guy's first game or they're just getting into shape, he'll be better for the 90 minutes. And I think that all those guys, DJ Taylor, Brent's uh, Yuka, like will be better for having played together. Then hopefully there's lessons that they take away from it that they can use going forward. Um, a couple of side notes here. What, was up with that non-corner kick that happened where <laughs> the ball was clearly over the end line and William Yarbrough just like, I was like, that's, I was typing, I was in the match day tweets, I was like typing a corner kick from Minnesota and there was a throw and I was like, it was fully over the line, right? Like I'm not crazy, right? I, I don't understand. <laughs> with all the technology we have nowadays, I don't understand how that's not given, Steve. And, you know, we, as, as broadcasters, we're sort of in a, in a precarious position because we, we, we can't see the whole field. We, we see what, what you, the viewer, the listener, uh, sees at home. So I think I might have even said it's a corner. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, because it was. <laughs> it's a corner. Um, and, and it was a good two yards over the line, wasn't it? Um I, I don't know, Steve. Like I said, with, with all the, the technology we have nowadays, and, and I, I do remember saying I, I'm not a proponent of more technology coming in because that you know yeah. at one, you know at what point are we going to stop? You know, before you know it, we're going to be stopping the game to see whose throw it is. You know, and that, that slows the game down. We, we don't want that. Um, yeah. But but something like that is it, it's it's almost inexcusable really to 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 understand how that happened and and how a corner is not given there. But look. It, <laughs> I don't have an answer, Steve. I'm yeah. as as everybody else was. <laughs> yeah, it was it was confusing. Uh, other thing I wanted to mention, um, uh, Aviela's uh, little kidney punch there on Diego Rubio. Not not a smart move. Um, one of those things that I'm like, I I understand frustration. I understand frustration with Diego Rubio in particular. He seems like a pretty frustrating guy to play against. Uh, and I was. Also, like when it was called, I was like, I have no idea what they're looking at because it looked like he just fell over. He just like decided to crumple. Um, and I'm still not beyond feeling like he maybe played it up a little bit based on sort of the speed of his reaction. But it's clear that that Ramon just socked him, like just gave him that sh little little shot just to just don't just don't put your team in a hole when you really don't need to be in a deeper hole. Is all I have to say about that. Just don't do it from a seasoned professional as well who now is going to miss the next game, by the way, as well. Yeah. Um, just a silly move. Um, you know, upon reflection, I think at the, at the time, I, I, you know, obviously we, we were, again, we're not on site. So again, we see what, what you guys are seeing. Um, I, I thought uh, Diego Rubio had gone down really easily, um, you know, and, and upon reflection, when you, when you go back and you see it, um, yeah, it, it, it's a clear little jab into the, um, into the ribs of Diego Rubio. You just can't get away with it anymore, Steve. There's far too many cameras. You can't get away with it. You know, you can, people watching this who play the game, you know, whatever level it is, everybody understands that there's, 
you know, little pinches here and there. You you try and, and mess with your opponent psychologically. You perhaps step on a toe from time to time or whatever. It's just part of the game. It is what it is. Um, but something like that's a bit too severe. And and obviously now there's just so many cameras in these stadiums, you, you just can't get away with it. So um, not a smart piece of play from Ramon Avila. Um, and I'm interested now to see what Adrian Heath says and how he addresses that because... Um, as I said before, Steve, I, I just didn't think Avila was the right signing for this team. Um, I understand what he offers. I understand what, what he gives to the team. Um, but something like that, um, I, I think, is almost inexcusable, really, you, especially when you're 2 or down, especially when you're trying to get yourself back into the game. In that situation, it's an attacking free kick as well. Um, just get on with the game. He's played in Argentina. He's played his whole career in Argentina. You're telling me he's not had a little stab, a little elbow or whatever, like from time to time from an opponent and, and just get on with it. You know, it just is what it is. Um, is it frustrating? Of course it is. But I think a little um, a little rush of blood to the head there from, from Ramon Abila. And um, like I said, I, I, I wonder now, I, I don't think it warrants any further punishment, but it certainly warrants a conversation, I think, from, from Adrian Heath. Yeah. When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. All right, let's take a little spin around uh, the Western Conference mostly uh, here, talking a little bit. We got a little time. You know, I, I imagine we'll do another show before uh, the Sounders. So uh, it, interesting things that have happened over the weekend. Toronto uh, got the uh, fire your coach bounce there uh, after uh, parting ways with Chris Armas uh, following the woeful stretch of games for them. They jumped out to a big lead on New England Revolution, and then the refs came back. Uh, nearly, nearly got uh, got the draw out of it, but it ended three two. Uh, I misjudged that one because I didn't, you know, I was playing fantasy, and I was like, well, the, Toronto looks terrible, and they just fired their coach. But uh, now I know that they can actually play, um, which is bad for Chris Armas. Uh, you know, people were sort of discussing this last night. Like it's, it's a little rough when, you know, you have the same players out there and they suddenly do a lot better uh, under a different guy. I mean, some of the same players. It was the first game where Pozuelo and uh, Jefferson Soteldo were both on the, 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 the field at the same time. Obviously having your two D two of your DPs there uh, is, is a big difference. But, um, you know, what's what's your feeling about I know we talked about Toronto and the run up to the season and the question of like if Chris Armas was the right hire, like if he was uh, if it was going to work out uh, after not having a terrific track record at, at, at Red Bulls. I mean, you know, he, he the team had some success, but they didn't sort of go to some new level under him, basically. So, uh, you know, what's your what's your feeling on Armas and Toronto and, and what they're looking like going forward? I might get in a bit of trouble for saying this, Steve, but I'll be honest. Um, as we had previously stated um, on this podcast, I'm sure Chris Armas was not the right it was not the right appointments, um, and I, I question why that appointment was made because he did okay at the Red Bulls, he was fine, mm-hmm. but it it wasn't exactly eyebrow raising. He did a good job, he was okay. Um, I after speaking to people throughout the season. It's now become clear to me that the reason why Chris Armas was hired is because Ali Curtis is the GM there. Let's not forget, Ali Curtis um, and Chris Armas works together at New York Red Bull. So 
that would be the overriding reason as to why that appointment happens. The thing is, and I'm all for people being given an opportunity as well, regardless of what we say, whether they're right or wrong person for the job, you, you give somebody an opportunity. And, and Toronto did. Um, but to to be as poor as they have, um, to have the the players come out and say that training was woeful and they didn't understand their identity, they, they didn't know what to do. Uh, Josie Altador was criticising the training, he's off training on his own somewhere in Florida. Um They've been unfortunate with injuries, as you mentioned, with Pozuelo and, and Soteldo, who's been away at the Copa America with Venezuela. Um, you know, I, I think um, th th there's elements of, of it where Chris Armas has been unfortunate. But ultimately, I just don't think it was ever the right signing. It was never the right appointment, in my opinion. And you, you saw the way he was trying to play with Toronto as well. He was trying to execute this high-pressing system that he implemented you know, okay, quite well with the New York Red Bulls because he had the players to do it. Um, I, I just think he approached it the wrong way at Toronto. Um, and like I said, they, they are a team that when you put them together, when you put it on paper, I've got the starting 11 in front of me here from that Revolution game. It's, it's still not as strong as the, the 2017 championship team that, that we saw, but it's a very, very good roster. Um, and there's absolutely no reason as to why they should be bottom of the Eastern Conference. So a change was needed, but it was either going to be Chris Armas or Ali Curtis. And I now, Steve, I think now Toronto FC have to get this next appointment absolutely right. Because if they don't, I think then you have to start questioning Ali Curtis. You have to start questioning Bill Manning, who's the president of TFC. And you have to perhaps start questioning people at, at Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, who ultimately own Toronto FC. I wonder what they're going to do. Um, my um, initial thought is because of, of what Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment do. They've done it with the Raptors, I believe. They've done it with uh, the NHL team. And now they've done it with Toronto. They often hire domestic coaches. Mm -hmm. um, they don't often go for massive names. Um, and so I wonder, are we again on the verge of seeing Toronto FC going with, with a not huge name and, and somebody who will perhaps come in and, and, and ride the ship and, and uh, ride the ship and, and, and steady it a little bit and, and try and get them to sneak into the playoffs? Um, if you look at the last two hires, Steve, Chris Armas and Greg Vanney are, are not big names at all. They are domestic MLS coaches. So right. that seems to be the way that Toronto are going to go. That seems to be what they've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, for me, and I've, I've gone out and said this on social media, and, and, and I think I might have said it on the television last night, the, the one they should go for, in my opinion, if they can really, really go and, and make a serious play for him, is the manager of River Plate right now, an individual called Marcelo Gajardo who uh, has, has long been linked with a move over to, to Spain. I think he interviewed for that. It was the Real Sociedad or Real Betis job in, in La Liga at one stage. Um, he's, he's never quite had the chance to, to go over. Um, he's 44. He's ambitious. Um, he knows how to deal with pressure, obviously working at a, a club like River Plate. Um, I think he can handle big, big players, big personalities. I think he, uh, I think he'd be a perfect appointment for Toronto FC. But the issue is, how do you get him out of his contract at River Plate? Because that that would take some doing for sure. So that's sure. for me what Toronto should go and do: go and get Marcelo Gallardo. 
Um, whether they can actually go and do it or not is, is the question. And like I said, I, I know of one or two names that, have, um, that are of potential interest to Toronto. And unsurprisingly, they are domestic names. So um, mm-hmm. we'll wait and see. But it, it, it's going to be one I keep my eye on for sure, Steve. Yeah. Uh, another, we've already mentioned this team uh, uh, on the podcast already, but can anyone slow down Seattle? They set a record now with 13 unbeaten since the start of the season. Um, they, and they've done it with a, a whole host of injuries. Uh, eventually they will get back guys like Nico Ladero, et cetera. Like, you know, the, it, it's just, it doesn't look great for the rest of, of, of the conference um, given that they're, they still seem to be not at full power, but they are just, executing tremendously well. So is anyone going to get Seattle out of that number one spot this season? Well, I think Kansas City did it for five minutes. Yeah. And I think if anybody will, Kansas City will, um, because they've spent a lot of money. Um, and Peter Vermeese has, has done this for years. If anybody can, can finish top of the West, it would probably be them. But at the moment, it looks like it's going to be a, a gargantuan task for anybody to, to dislodge the Sounders. Um, I, I just... They've adapted so well, as you mentioned, Steve, without Ladero, without Jordan Morris, um, and they've lost a couple of other individuals as well. But what Brian Schmetzer did wonderfully was he adapted his system to play to the players that he has. And we've seen for the majority of the season now, they've, they've operated in, in a 3-5-2, 5-3-2 in a transitional um, point of view. Um, Roldan, uh, Alex Roldan has, has been reinvented as a, as a right back. We saw a glimpse of it towards the end of last season, but he's a central midfielder. Um, and he's been reinvented as a right back. Um, Madranda, Jimmy Madranda, who was at Kansas City for a long time and then Nashville and didn't quite get an opportunity, has seemed to fit in quite well when he was given the chance. Brad Smith has come back to the Sounders. He won it with them in 2019. Um, I, I think Brian Schmetzer strikes me as one of these coaches where you, you want to run through a brick wall for him. He strikes mm-hmm. me as one of those individuals. I, I've had a couple of interactions with him, Steve, and, and he seems like a, a first and foremost, he's a nice, nice guy. Um, but he, he does seem like one of those individuals that's a very, very good motivator. Uh, and I'm not necessarily saying screaming and shouting, but from a psychological right. point of view, he knows how to get the best out of his players. Like Kellen Rowe, for example. Kellen Rowe scored last night. Kellen Rowe couldn't get a game in Kansas City. He yeah. was very good at the Rebs, for sure, but he couldn't get a game at KC. And now all of a sudden, he's in the first team whilst uh, Christian Roldan is with the Gold Cap roster, and he's doing wonderfully. There's a, there's a bunch of uh, players coming through from Sounders 2 as well. Um, you know, I think they've been so smart with it. And also the way that they're using Freddy Montero operating behind Rui Diaz as well. Um, I, I think the, the, the pieces um, have come together so well for the Sounders. Um, I question if it's going to last the entirety of the season because sure. you, you need some things to, to work for, for the entirety of the year. And I, I'm, there's a few things that I'm not sure that will, but um, Seattle Sounders right now, Steve, are as good as anybody in this league. Uh, and, and they are deserving of that top spot in the West. And, and obviously now with them coming to Allianz Field um, in what, just over 10 days or just under 10 days, um, that's going to be the, the biggest task this year biggest challenge for Minnesota for sure um, but I, I just think that they're, they're, they're so good moving forward everybody seems to understand their role as well um, Jean Paolo in, in the six as well has, has been instrumental mm-hmm. to the way that they play as well so uh, holding midfielder appreciation society fan club here <laughs> um, 
So I, I think they're wonderful. They, they really are. Every person, every single solitary player has stepped up to the mark when, when they needed to. And I think a lot of that is because Brian Schmetzer understands how to get the best from his players from a psychological point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Schmetzer is very impressive, especially for a guy, like you said, he doesn't seem to have a ton of um, bluster or, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a huge personality, but he just mm. gets the job done. He sort of brushes off, you know, uh, any kind of plaudits. He's always sort of like, well, yeah, we set the record. That's great. But, you know, we got a lot of stuff left to do. He's very, he's very down to earth, which is great. I think it is. I, I sort of feel like it's between them and SKC up at the top <clears throat> of the Western Conference. And it's probably going to be, they're going to be one and two. Who knows exactly which way it's going to go. Again, I wouldn't put it back. You're right. I would not put it past SKC just in the last couple of weeks, just sneaking into that top spot. Um, they have looked fantastic. Uh, the analytics love them also. Um, speaking of analytics, the galaxy are right behind them. I'm not, I, I sort of don't trust that. Like I think the galaxy have played above their, their station. Um, but you know, maybe that's why you get guys like Chicharito. They can finish goals that are incredibly difficult or they can find ways to make something work if they, if they can't, but I, you know, I'm sort of looking at the Western conference and trying to figure out how it, how it shakes out. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sold on the galaxy yet, but maybe that's just lingering resentment over Zlatan. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think the Galaxy for me, Steve, obviously something had to change because they were woeful last year, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and given the context of, of what Galaxy are and, and the expectations there, something needed to, to change. Um, and, it, and it turns out Greg Van is not a bad manager. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it, it turns out it wasn't a fluke at Toronto for all those years. So um, I'm a big fan of the goalkeeper, Jonathan Bond, who came in from, from West Bromwich Albion um, and has settled into Major League Soccer very well indeed. Uh, I love Cabral, the, the French wide player who, who, to my understanding, Minnesota United were, were interested in at one stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but but even even last night, Steve, against Dallas, without Javier Hernandez, they still comfortably pushed aside FC Dallas. Um, and and there's, there's a couple of, of players here that I think don't get anywhere near the credit they deserve because of Hernandez's um, ability and because of the spotlight that's always on him. Um, Sebastian Legette. I, I yeah. think he's, he's an unsung hero and, and um, we'll, we'll get plenty of attention on the national team. He seems to be Greg Berhalter's individual move moving forward over the next couple of years as well. Um, but uh, Victor Vasquez, who Greg Vanny had at Toronto before he, um, he, ended up, um, he ended up going off to, to the Middle East, I think, for a year or two. Um, he worked so well in Toronto and, and was a, a, a catalyst for them winning MLS Cup in, in 2017. Um, Greg Vanny brought him back to MLS, um, and he's 33 now, I think. Um, but Greg Vanny knows how to use him, mm-hmm. and I think he's been great in, in the way that the, the, the Galaxy have used him so far. Sasha Kleshton, when, when he's been needed, has, has come on and, and been very, very good as well. Um, you know, they added a couple of uh, defensive pieces as well. I'm a big fan of uh, the Athena, the left back. Um, I thought Portland... Um, I thought they were crazy when they let him go, but now understanding what they did with, with bringing in Bravo, the left back, I, I get it. But uh, for me, he's been one of the best left backs in the league for, for a long time. So um, there's more to come from the Galaxy, no doubt. Um, there, there's genuine expectation there, as there should be, because of, of, of the amount of resources that they have. Um, that, for me, right there, Steve, could very well be the top three that we've mentioned. Um, and I know there's a long way to go. There's a lot of football to be played. We're not even halfway through the season yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that could very well be the top three in the West. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Come see them then. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that when I, I started this job in 2017 uh, and Victor Vasquez was on Toronto, I always got Victor Vasquez and Maxi Morales sort of confused because they have they have both alliterative names, uh, sort of a similar formulation. Uh, so I was always like, Victor, Maxi, which team was that on? But I was just learning MLS. Now I, now I know much better. Uh, I tell, can tell those guys apart. So, uh, all right, I'm going to end with a, I have a recommendation uh, for you if you're into it. But uh, for listeners, I just finished uh, a terrific series, a book, uh, book series. The first book is called uh, The Three Body Problem. And that's uh, sort of what people call this series. There's three books, The Three Body Problem, um, Dark Forest and Death's End. It's a Chinese science fiction series. It got a lot of attention a couple of years ago, sort of 2016, 2017. It won the, the Hugo Award, his first uh, book by uh, a Chinese author, an Asian author, I believe, to win that. It's a prestigious science fiction award. Um, I believe it got attention because Barack Obama said he was reading it. I may have mentioned that I was reading this book uh, before, but I just wrapped up the final book. It's tremendous it's one of it's really rare for me to find a series where the it gets better and better and better and better but i think legitimately the third book is my favorite and i think it it, it builds in this amazing way it's very loyal to science uh, and to physics it sort of grounds everything in hard science but there's a lot of of humanity and questions about you know humankind's place in the universe and things like that and it's uh it's super interesting thought provoking i'm gonna be thinking about it for a long time there's also a tv series coming uh, i believe for amazon they're making it into a tv show uh you know so if you if you felt like you missed out on game of thrones because you hadn't read the books you can just read these books now and you'll be ahead of the curve before the tv show comes on so it's the three body problem it's by an author whose name is i'm going to butcher this i'm sorry if we have any chinese listeners leo Xin, which is l-i-u c-i-x-i-n on the american version it's off those are reversed because of the way the chinese names are so uh but i highly recommend it uh it's a little tough to get through the first at the beginning there's a lot of time switches and and sort of you got to kind of navigate through the the first book but by the end of the first book you'll probably want to pick up the second and then from there on it's a it's a fantastic ride so strongly recommend it cal i appreciate it steve um in terms of recommendations whenever we can get away from football which which it looks like we, we will be able to for a few days now um i need to so i don't think about the euro 2020 <laughs> final and drive yeah. myself crazy um, there's a couple of recommendations uh i think it's on hbo my wife and i watched uh, a series called the mayor of east town i think or mayor of east town Eastwood. yeah mayor of east, east town. town yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. very very good if you like the sort of murder mystery type thing that's mm-hmm. very very good um i watched uh sort of apocalyptic thing on uh, netflix uh, a couple of weeks ago called black summer Okay. Um, so if you're into sort of like zombie type things, which uh, I'm not really sure. I'm, I get a bit of a thrill like from horror. I hate horror movies. I'm not, I'm not a horror person at all, but <laughs> sometimes you need a little bit of a scare. Yeah. Um, what, what one of them when you sort of you, you're watching it on the couch with your legs up, you know, in case they grab you from <laughs> underneath. So, you know, one of them. So, uh, yeah, I watched uh, Black Summer, which was very good. Um, and then there was there's a movie that's I think it's Amazon Prime or something like that. Um called like tomorrow war or the war of tomorrow or something along those yes. lines uh which was fine it was okay if you're looking for it to pass you know two hours it's 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 a fine movie it's it's okay yeah. so uh just about you know a war that's taking place in 30 years and they come and recruit people from the past because they need them and you know all of that kind of stuff so uh right. those are those are my my recommendations um and i'm happy to take any recommendations um from, from anybody else as well because i'm always looking for stuff to watch because i'm 
I'm just engulfed in football and sometimes I just need something else. <laughs> yes. All right. Good recommendations for the screen for I read mine on a Kindle. So it's also a screen, but you know, uh, for your books. So uh, thanks for joining us for the 151st Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow me at Steve Enteris. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you. People can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>